It's not and a then we go start. Alright, we're live, I believe. Welcome everybody to the first official BMR podcast episode. Uh, tonight the topic is going to be American railroading. Uh, we're joined by three Americans and one Dutchman. <laughs> perfect. Uh, perfect, like always. Um, on the left, uh, top side, is Kale. BMR uh, member from the start, I believe, and one of the, the main founder, founder <laughs> our, the godfather of BMR. Our glorious leader. Benevolent overlord. The right uh. is uh, Chris, also a fellow BMR member and definitely good here, a good builder. Uh, Thank you. I agree. To the bottom right is Glenn. One of the oh, still don't have a webcam. Still hasn't got a <laughs> webcam right now, but he's uh, one of the well-known uh, builders. And um, or or is he or or his he, uh, his face really like that? Oh, that's that's definitely what I look like. <laughs> we all know from his from his videos on YouTube channel. My my face is just the red Discord logo, and the rest of the time I have to wear a mask. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the topic and of course is we have Enrico. Yeah, yeah of course we have me. He's a yeah, Glenn is just a sophisticated computer AI. Correct. An AI <laughs> Lego builder. That's, that's the reason why I build so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the topic is going to be American railroading, and we're going to discuss uh, a couple of topics involving American railroading and American layouts. Um, if you got any questions during th this podcast, you can ask uh, by using the live chat provided by YouTube itself. Uh, and we will be answering a couple of those questions, hopefully all of them uh, after a couple of minutes. Uh, we keep track of all the good questions, all the bad questions, and all the funny questions. Uh, without any further ado, let's get started, I believe. We'll answer those questions towards the end of the podcast, and we'll uh, we'll aim to keep the podcast limited to one hour. Yeah, we'll right. try. We'll try. <laughs> we'll try. All right, topic number one, Enrico. Uh, well, that's the, uh, to start with the most difficult question: What defines an American layout? Finding an American layout. Hmm. Well, I have actually a, I've actually thought about this for a good five minutes. <laughs> and I think I, I think I have a, a, an appropriate answer. So, um, not just for American layouts, but also for just American railroading in general. I think one of probably the most defining characteristics of of, um, of that is just uh, huge rail yards and service. Yeah. Like um, there's a lot of the old railroad films that I've seen, and a lot of them that are even publicly available online have um, have some. Uh, some amount of footage of just you see the big like classification yards with the hump hills you know so they push the cars up and they roll them down and sort them and classify them i think that's probably one of the one of the biggest things and now i for american layouts it's it's you don't usually you don't see the the hump modeled or anything similar to that but you do often see big big yards where people will more manually sort out cars and stuff like that like in the pet and lug layout we have our we have our huge wonderful yard that is uh really fun to not use <laughs> and just display and, everything um, we're working on that yeah, we need we're to... working on that 
but also in like traditional scales you have like uh just about almost on any layout that is more set up for the operating side of things you'll see at least one decent sized yard where there'll pretty much always be a bunch of rolling stock and you know storage facilities and engine servicing stuff like that i think that's probably that would probably be my answer yeah um i was gonna say uh glenn kind of touched on it in a roundabout way but probably american like american railroading american model train layouts are just dominated by freight um we you know everyone models freight operations it seems no one you know um and really railroad you know railroads today in north america are just dominated by freight we have we don't really have a whole lot of passenger rail at least inner city passenger rail yeah i mean we have amtrak but but it's amtrak yeah who cares yeah. about amtrak <laughs> <laughs> usually usually when you see a train it's a freight train yeah um, freight just dominates every everything in railroading for us so you know occasionally you'll see someone you know modeling passenger operations but for the most part you know u.s modelers are, are freight modelers yeah i think another difficulty is that the u.s passenger cars and trains were all just so long that to be able to just build a station and have all of the space that you need for a proper station and yard for passenger cars would just be enormous realistic length yeah. trains i definitely agree because you have yeah. more often than not you have train passenger trains running up into like the 20 car range and even mm -hmm. then you still have some trains running in sections yeah and then you know you try to model that and you're you're ending up with like you know 20 20 feet of, <clears throat> of just yeah. passenger space. And because yeah, I, I have five passenger cars and each one of those is like two base plates long and just just <laughs> takes up half my layout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, even for just like a, a five or six car train with that kind of length of pa passenger car, it's it gets quite long. <laughs> I, and I don't want to build a station for that. Yeah. <laughs> I do, but... <laughs> Yeah. It's going to take a while. Yeah, I do, but I'll need to buy another house. <laughs> we have had uh, a couple of plans for the replicate, obviously a compressed version of the train station in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, we have slowly <laughs> been acquiring parts for it. Yes, it would still be yeah. huge. It's if you uh, To give you some perspective, I think it's like Kale's Red Lion display. How, how much longer is it than your Red Lion display? It's like well, Red, Red Lion is about seventeen feet long. Um, it would be like Lanca it Lancaster would be about twenty, I believe. Okay, yeah, it's, it's for any uh, European viewers, it's the American podcast. We are not going to translate or recalculate feet. We are just going to do everything in the <laughs> in the metric, not in the metric <laughs> system, but in the imperial system. This is America, dang it. <laughs> is that a second language? <laughs> this is America, dang it. This is America, dang it. We use Imperial. <laughs> yeah, I think those are all really good. Uh, those are definitely really defining characteristics. And from my perspective. I think the other thing. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, my per uh, perspective as an European. Uh, American railroads are always the American, American general is always big and huge in size 
there's other space in between the tracks in between buildings in between roads and uh, especially if you're doing a uh, yard for example there need to be a, a bit of space everywhere it doesn't need to be cramped uh, and compressed together and this is a difficult thing because you don't want to uh, use too much space for a yard because then your entire layer uh, your entire layout turns into a yard but at the same time you want to get something of that the size and the useness of uh, American railroading in it. Yeah, you don't see any 412 in Europe. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we we have a lot of space, so we tend to spread out. Um, we, we definitely used it with, with some of the locomotives <laughs> that we built back in the day, especially. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I've been thinking about, too, is that, you know, um, at the state where I grew up in, there was a lot of like old logging railroads, and a lot of the locomotives I've built were from like logging lines. And I don't really know that I've heard of something quite like that over in Europe. I, there, there very well might be, but I haven't really heard of as just as many like logging railroads no. or I guess more temporary lines. A like couple that. of them around the Alps, uh, but not like a logging railroad. Occasionally they will move logs, but not a, a specific logging layer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think those tend to get kind of overlooked because I mean they don't tend to last as long, and they they really aren't aren't very well known. They don't tend to leave where they are. Yeah, you're yeah. definitely right. A lot of the times, it was literally just lay the rails, get the trees out, and then take the rails back. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually um, a really good point. I didn't think about <laughs> logging railroads at all. In fact, a lot of logging railroads in the U.S., you know, the track was temporary. Um, literally just rails like nailed the logs going through the woods and yeah, yeah. Um, it it only had to last as long as they were able to harvest timber in that area and that wasn't you know that might have been a couple years at best <laughs> as long as you could put a shea or a climax on it without derailing too many times you're good yeah <laughs> in fact those locomotives were developed specifically because of that <laughs> exactly an engineering marvel in itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the second topic, and we kind of discussed it already, but great techniques to build an American layout. Well, you'll probably need at least a little bit of space. Yeah, <laughs> space. Yeah, most difficult thing. I think, yeah. uh, I think part of it can be. Uh, I mean, with any layout, be expressed more in the scenery rather than anything else, because if you. I'm thinking in my, I'm picturing in my head like a, a uh, British layout versus like an American layout, and I think like you think about obviously it's just the way that it is, but it, you think about like the tracks are generally the same, you know, the uh, the line side equipment is basically the same with just a little bit of maybe uh, cosmetic differences, but I think the scenery is probably what sets it apart the most because you know you can. You can build mountains on a layout, but like, are you building like the high Sierras or are you building like the Appalachian coal fields? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you have to really do some research and kind of really look at what you're trying to go for. And I think that that will that helps a lot. And that's a good blanket statement for anything. Yeah, I think probably another difference that comes to mind specifically in the United States versus like the British one is um, the size and the amount of stations, um, because of, um, American railroads, you know, your points of interest are a lot further apart and usually a lot bigger. Um, whereas in 
from what I've seen of like the Britain railroads, they're um, everything's closer together, and they don't need to be as large per station because of that. They also have point. much smaller yeah. rolling stock. Yeah. But the landscape itself is much smaller, and the American landscape is a lot, a lot more bigger. Uh, the buildings themselves are a lot more bigger than the British layout, for example. And I think, especially the scenery, if you're able to uh, define American layout, it's definitely in the scenery. Definitely yeah. makes a lot of the difference. And, do and that's that's something yeah. that's kind of given me pause a lot of times when I've been trying to plan out what to do with my layout because right now it's only like twelve by ten feet. And when I look at and think of all the stuff that I'd like to put in there, it's like, well, if I do that, it'll just end up feeling way too cramped because, you know, every railroad that I've seen out here, there's just vast differences, not something every 10 or 20 feet. It's like, eh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to overstep this. I saw a, uh, a post, I think it was for some model railroading page. It said every, every model railroader has had the problem of trying to fit a big yard, big scenery, um, big stations and some other things on a four by eight before. <laughs> Same similar situation, I think. Yeah, uh, and, and our new wider radius curves are not helping us any with that. But they the layout building not, no. <laughs> not helping us compact, that's for sure. <laughs> All of a sudden, oh, no. we have we have these great curves, but now oh, we have to find some place to put them. <laughs> I remember the first time that I got some R88 curves from ME models. I immediately went down to the basement where I had an L shape of four by four, four by eights, and started putting the uh, the track together. And I'm like, oh, this is way too big. I can't fit this on my layout. That's unfortunate. <laughs> sure, I'm not alone. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, like Lego trains are 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 big to begin with. Um, <laughs> they take they up are. a lot of room to, you know, uh, yeah. just to start with, and then you start adding in big curves, and then, you know, you start modeling American stuff, where you've got these vast distances between, you know, scenes and stuff. It, yeah, it you run out of space very, very quick. <laughs> and the funniest thing is, you're building a uh, 1 to 48 scale, I believe, with your models. Close enough. Yeah, and we're building 1 to 45, yeah. so we're actually building a bit bigger. But at the same time, our uh, scenery is a bit smaller, so we uh, kind of have the same problem with our layout. <laughs> and you guys I have done yeah. a pretty good job, though. You guys, I'm thinking about your guys' LEGO World layouts, and those are just spectacular, at least. Even oh, that I don't really know what I'm looking at, looking at, you know, Dutch trains, but, like, <laughs> wow, you guys do a good job with the size of the layout, first of all. It looks interesting, and it's, you know, at least... Am I realistic with the uh, the amount of space that you have between things? So, uh, the same yeah, thing. De I, I definitely enjoy seeing that. <laughs> the most difficult thing is that we uh, have every year, and I think a lot of builders will recognize that if um, everybody wants to build a certain piece of their layout, somebody wants to build a harbor or a city, somebody else wants to build a uh, steam locomotive yard, like I did. But you need to connect those pieces, and I think uh, that's definitely the most difficult thing if you're building a layout if uh, the transaction between those pieces needs to be realistic and as close to a realist, a realism as possible. Because if you're going to from a city to an entire green landscape to a forest, it isn't realistic. There needs to be some sort of transaction. 
And finding those transactions takes quite a lot of time, but most of the time it's in those little details which uh, transport your layout to the next level. Thanks. Oh, certainly. Um. <laughs> but also the, for uh, American layouts, I think the colors are a quite important thing. A lot of American builders are a bit of gray or dark tan. And I think if you're going to build in more of those colors, you kind of recognize buildings more or get more realism out of them, in my opinion. Though. Or concrete. Or concrete, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do with Lego because, you know, Lego is just bright and flashy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we definitely gravitate towards the dark tans and dark grays and dark reds and all that. Yeah, if my one's more colors. To me, it's all going to be tan, dark tan, and reddish brown, maybe. <laughs> I don't even have yeah. gray rocks over here. They're all just tan and brown and red. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the next question. It's, this is going to be quite a difficult one. Uh, for American models, so American locomotives or wagons or any other trains, uh, what defines them besides their size? <laughs> the most obvious one. I think it would be, in a really generic way to say it, I think it would just be the, the overall appearance. It's looking at any one that everybody will know. You picture like a Gresley A3, like the Flying Scotsman, and you just think about the, the clean cut look that that locomotive produces like you just have the boiler you have the, uh, the wheel splashers or the, the the wheel arches get what the exact term is like you've got you've got a very small cab you've got huge driving wheels and it's uh the lo the uh the loading gauge is built is much different so it sits higher but it's it's a much more differently proportioned locomotive and you think about like even a similar even a a uh, comparable United States 462, you think of like a Pennsylvania K4, you have a much bigger cab, you have the bell pair firebox, similar size drivers, but it's just, it's much taller and much longer as well. It's a lot less cleaner looking, like you have like the, all the appliances on the outside, like the differences between like vacuum brake and uh, air pump, air pump to brakes, whatever the, like Westinghouse air brakes. You know, there's there's a lot more uh, appliances that you can see from the outside just looking at them i think that's probably a big difference um yeah yeah utilitarian yeah uh, sorry uh american american locomotives and 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 uh rolling stock tend to be more utilitarian in look um we don't try and like cover up appliances as much and we, you know hide hide things behind nice streamlining and everything you know everything's like right out there where it can be easily gotten to and maintained and and that kind of thing so you know our, our steam locomotives were just littered with appliances all over everything just sticking right out there and even today our freight locomotives are you know about as utilitarian as you can get they're 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 boxy and you know doors everywhere of, and everything a lot of people are saying color as well which makes a lot of sense because off the top of my head well the flying scotsman is green and we compared to the rest of the steam locomotives that we had we very rarely paint them in such attractive colors <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel like uh we we swapped with britain when we when we changed to diesels i think british steam locomotives were all a lot more colorful than ours but i feel like our diesels tend to have a much wider color 
color. Yeah, like look at green. look at Kansas City Southern. They're all like red, black, and orange and, and yellow. Yeah, once we got rid of that coal ash dirtying everything up, we could like start painting our stuff colorful colors. <laughs> no, it's just diesel. <laughs> it's diesel exhaust all over the, over the back, but that's <laughs> Yeah. Good point. Um, I I think also American locomotives are more purpose built than any others. So if you have an uh, especially steam locomotives, if they're purpose built, they you can recognize if it's a uh, passenger locomotive or a freight locomotive. Yeah. Yeah, you can agree with that. Yeah. Definitely kind of tell them apart more. Sometimes the sometimes the line is blurred a little bit, like. <laughs> Just thinking about Pennsylvania again, like you have the M1, which is 482. They were often used on both passenger and freight because of the. It's basically just uh, it's a pretty general general purpose locomotive. Yeah, and it seems even it, I was gonna say even the with time diesels. You can tell them apart. Yeah, and even with diesels, like uh, you know, you uh, like a like this GP7 or GP9, which. You know, you think of as like the classic American freight diesel. There is quite a lot of them that were used to pull passenger trains. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were equipped with, you know, uh, you know, for steam heating for passenger trains and, you know, they, they, <laughs> but yeah. So. Yeah. The, the diesels really changed that, that dynamic a lot, I think. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Good question, Enrico. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. The, the most important thing is the best place for inspiration for American topics or American layouts or American models. I'd say other American layouts and models. <laughs> Just copy what's already done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad suggestion. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, it's And that's kind of a loaded question. Like, how do you answer that? Like, it it really depends on like what area of, I mean, you almost have to narrow it down to a specific area of American railroading that you're interested in, you know, uh, or a specific railroad, um, because you know we have so much, so many different railroads, and you know, such vast differences in in terrain in the U.S. It, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it started out when I went out to uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, and I saw uh, an old logging valley there, you know, and that, that really got my interest. So for me, for me personally, anyways, it's always just been, you know, going out and, and finding these old locomotives and, and learning about their history and where they've come from. And my plans for my layout really have come from that, of, you know, getting an interest in these old logging lines or other, other local sceneries and stuff. Um, so, so a lot of my plans are just from what I've Research from the logging railroads, or going and visiting a Verde Canyon railroad, which runs some vintage FP7s, um, and that's that's a pretty good source of inspiration too. If you can find something like that that just really strikes your fancy, I guess. Yeah, um, and if you know, if there's if you do have a railroad that you're a specific railroad that you're interested in, one of the best resources is find out if there's a historical society. Um, for that railroad, you know, is there a group interested in preserving the history of that railroad? And if there is, join that group and become friends with them because 
there are they are probably one of the best resources of information you'll have for uh for you know getting ideas um you know um figuring out like how to you know what thing how things worked and everything like that yeah, like I said, um, I think visiting uh, historical lay historical museums or uh, heritage organizations uh, kind of gives you an idea of what it's like to build uh, a specific layout, or uh, shows you a couple of details which really make something uh, work. I think visiting yeah. and making your own pictures, uh, just going out to visit those places definitely gives the most inspiration, in my opinion. If I see for here in the Netherlands, oh, yeah. we have a couple of historical. Uh, organizations which preserve steam locomotives just going there and have a fun day definitely keeps you excited mm -hmm. to go build your own models oh yeah going to a, going to a museum or visiting a, a model railroad layout is you know can provide immense inspiration <laughs> like every time i go to a every time i go to a railroad museum i usually find something like i want to model <laughs> 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 it could be a museum across country but i'm like oh that's cool i want to build that someday <laughs> yeah and i think just for inspiration like there are so many movies out there you you kind of discussed a couple of, um, of them before we went live a couple of american uh, american movies about trains i believe it's not necessarily American, but I've always loved the train with Burt Lancaster. Of course. <laughs> that, is a, that is a fantastic movie if you like a, uh, a World War II movie largely centered around trains. And if you want to see them blow up a, uh, a French rail yard. <laughs> Which is always fun to watch. <laughs> and of course. Really good movie. There's plenty of others as well. Uh, for the final question, the most impressive layout that you American layout that you ever seen built in Lego, and not the Pendlock layout because that's an easy one. The most impressive <laughs> one, that you, the most impressive one of which uh, you really thought, well, that's definitely an American one. Kill you go first. <laughs> Kill you. Oh you go man, first. we we want to copy your answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 no, I've, I've, oh, got an, man. I've, I've got an answer I have an answer Alright then you answer Because <laughs> I'm still thinking <laughs> Chris you go first I was just going to copy what you guys said <laughs> <laughs> It's like It's like high school over here <laughs> I was going to say the pen look layout um, that's, that's probably the one I've spent the most time looking at Every time you guys do a show I look at that very closely and get ideas for what I want to do with mine. Yeah, I mean, even the way I built my tables is kind of reverse engineered off of your guys' tables. So. They're very heavy. Yes, they're very heavy. <laughs> <laughs> they're sturdy. I like that. They are, they are quite sturdy. It's one of the things that we're looking they, to. They are sturdy, and they're cheap. <laughs> yeah, but they are heavy. They are heavy. Pick um, two of those three things yeah. on the table. Um, there's been quite a few, like, clubs recently that have, like, really stepped up their layout game. Um, I can't remember, uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but there's a, there's a club in California that recently has been doing some really cool stuff. 
Um, is it like Sacramento? It might be. Uh, um, I know one of the guys involved in it is uh, Farol. I might Farol Mahler. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, that's the yeah, same those, one. Yeah, yeah, those guys have been doing some really cool stuff lately. I've, I've, I've loved watching them. Um, the guys from Texas Brick Railroad, they oh, do yeah. some really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, I like, I like both of those. Yeah, I, yeah. Remember, I, I don't think it's part of the main Texas Brick Railroad display, but a few years ago, um, I remember seeing someone who displayed with Texas Brick Railroad who had a pretty large, like a logging area. And I thought that that was really nicely detailed. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I cannot, I don't know whose that was. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's part of Texas Brick because I haven't seen with them very yeah, often. Yeah, he, I only saw it with them once or twice online, and so I, I assumed it was like a guest situation. I can't remember yeah. his name. I've met the guy. He was at Brickworld a number of years ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, he's got some really cool stuff. So, for my answer, I have, I probably, I have two, and then I have a non-Lego answer. So, for the Lego answer, I would have to say the, uh, <laughs> Oh, we can give non-Lego answers? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go okay. first. Um, I'd have to say for a Lego layout, the Australian guys like Bonus and, uh, who is it? Um, Wait, they do American? Alexander. <laughs> they have a, uh, they have an incredible layout. Yeah, they, they do. I'd, I'd have mentioned them if Enrico hadn't said U.S. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. The, it's okay. I missed the U.S. I apologize. I missed the U.S. part. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. I apologize. It's fine though. There's 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 no problem in giving a shout out to a great layout. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Those Australian guys always deserve their work to get mentioned about their work. So for my non-Lego answer, I would have to say. One of the biggest, <laughs> one of probably the best layouts that I've ever seen, to, and one that I can always find something to get inspired from is probably the, uh, Bill's gonna agree with me, is probably the Piermont Division. Oh, Howard Zane's HO layout, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, ama that's an amazing train layout. Um, yes. yeah. you, uh, if you like just a lot of Appalachian whole country, and Crack and trains and yards and incredible scenery. It is layout. It is such a such an amazing layout. Yeah, yeah. It it it's definitely um, it, yeah, definitely a great layout. Um, I was gonna say for me, um, for like non Lego layout, one of my favorite layouts has always been uh, uh the Franklin and South Manchester by uh, uh built by uh. George Stelios. Um, George Stelios. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> well, that, that, say that that layout was featured prominently in the first model railroad or magazine I ever I ever read uh, as a kid. Um, so that was like my first exposure to the wider the wider world of model railroading, and that layout is that layout just has I've I've just admired that layout ever since 
um, the work, the detail work on that layout is just absolutely amazing, you know, <laughs> um, right down to it's an HO scale layout and he's got like figures in alleys um, in like the, uh, the slum sections playing cards in the alleys and he's actually like model playing cards in HO and, and, and it's just incredible. Um, you know, the scene he, the scenes he sets in that layout. There are some <laughs> people who have posted some videos of it. Um, I've noticed that they don't often run trains when they have visitors, but there is plenty of footage of that layout that you get on uh, posted online. So I definitely recommend that if anybody feels fine. Yeah. Uh, it is definitely worth watching. Yeah, if you're into if you're into uh, model railroading in an urban setting yeah, in cities, he's got some really amazing stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, now I think it's that's, time to so answer. That's my answer. I go, but do we want to answer a couple of live stream questions right now? Because uh, we have seen quite a, uh, a few interesting ones. Uh, first of all, is Glenn having a bad hair day because I can't see him? <laughs> uh, I am, but I also just don't have a webcam. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, grass or gravel between the tracks? Oh, for um, <coughs> something that is more iconic to American railroading? Yeah, exactly. Can be. Um, I don't know. In the past, most of our pen lug layout has had grass in between, you know, the, the tracks. But I think that. I would, yeah, I think I prefer gravel. Um, usually when you see a double main line or a triple main line or, or, or four track main line in the U.S. and you look between the tracks, it's basically ballast from one side to the other and, you know, a few weeds interspersed throughout, you know, in between, but, you know, you don't really see, you know, big stretches of grass. Out along the right of way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's not much grass in general near me, so when I go look at it, it's all just dirt. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, depending on which mo area of the U.S. you're modeling, you might not have grass that's, that's at all. That's a good one too. Yeah, there's in, not much. If you're modeling in the desert, you definitely don't have grass between your tracks. <laughs> Chris, Chris is going to single-handedly take out the entirety of the tan and dark tan part selection on Bricklink when he starts building his layout. <laughs> very probably, I'm going to make it very expensive for myself. <laughs> Um, another another question which isn't related, but a funny one. Um, if you ever designed something with a limit uh, switch using the Lego polarity, uh, a mechanical limit switch using the Lego polarity switch for train functions or other train buildings. Using the polarity switch as uh, something that I do. To, well, I have it like in my Crusader. I use train motors on it, so I have to s switch the polarity on. On yep. one of those motors to get them to move in the direction. I think. Same here. Hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, I've I've done that as well, but I haven't like used the polarity switch and other anything else, uh, any of my other builds. Um, Still would like to be able to have uh, mechanically operated switches, and that would, you know, just using power functions. But at that point, I might as well buy traditional modeling. We had a couple like of um, tortoise motors or whatever. We, have, we had a couple of powered switch on our uh, Lego World layout last year, and they were quite interesting. And, and we, uh, since we're using uh, the mill system, it's well, easier to integrate. 
but it takes quite a lot of time and quite a lot of effort to uh, to properly build it. Especially if you're going yeah. to use it multiple times, you don't want it to cl to clam up or uh, get broken, so you need to demolish your entire layout every time. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, but it's a fun challenge to do. One of the most interesting approaches I've seen is people dabbling with using like pneumatic systems to flip their switches. Oh, I've but seen those too. Yeah, I, I think that probably actually could work out pretty well, but I, I think a lot of people try and actuate like the actual switch like clicker, which I, I don't think I would go that route if I tried that. I would try and just, just use it to move like the uh, the point itself and just bypass the clicking mechanism because you just you need yeah. so much more torque to get past that when all you're really trying to do is move a rail a half an inch. We did it. Yeah. We did use that uh, at our LEGO World last year. Um, it makes a lot more sense if you do it the easy way. Uh, why not all I US... like the switch, Sorry. Uh, why don't oh, all USA builders uh, build nine wall? Sorry. Why don't all USA builders uh, build nine white like John Neal is propagating? That will make it so much easier to combine European and US walling stock. Because I want to build the way that I want to build. <laughs> <laughs> well, there Techn goes your question. Technically, he built ten wide. <laughs> yeah, he does build ten wide, and um, I actually do build a lot of nine wide. Yeah, the, kind the of team nice locomotives that and I build both usually, at least for the bigger ones, both usually end up being nine wide. More recently, anyways. Yeah. I've got um, I've got some locomotives on my desk right now that are nine wide at the cab and the and the bulk of the tender. But as far as like building prototypical to the actual Lego track gauge, um, I don't know. I've 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 thought about the idea. Um, my problem is like I have so much built up right now in eight wide that the thought of like moving over to a new gauge or new new scale is is daunting like and you know yeah kale has you... got like a collection of like 50 freight cars that would all need to be changed <laughs> at that point <laughs> or you could just give them all to me and, it, and and it's not just for me it's not just like the cars and locomotives but also the scenery the buildings everything needs to get bigger when you go to a bigger scale um our roundhouse would need to get bigger <laughs> Our roundhouse you need to get a lot bigger. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> it's already huge. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, we're straining. A lot of times we're straining Lego motors now with the stuff we build in 8-wide. Yeah, <laughs> I go to, Yeah, to go to a larger scale and build some of the stuff that we do. You know, we're gonna have to start. We would have to start looking for uh, motors outside of Lego. You know, new ways to power our locomotives. Um, and we just... would basically have to use just just three D printed wheels because we're we're really running out of out of sizes for for wheels as we get up to larger scales. And all yeah. that adds up in cost very very quickly. Yeah, um, I'm already spending a fair amount of money on every locomotive that I build. I don't think. I don't really, and I'm just as happy with them as I would be if I was doing ten wide or a larger scale in general. Yeah, yeah and I don't I just don't see the point in hurting that, when, that's I'm, big, when I'm happy. That's the big thing for me is you know out, outweighing the pros and cons is I don't feel like the the increase of detail um, or accuracy I could get by going up 
would really be too much more than what I have right now. You know, going going from six to eight is kind of a no brainer, but going from from eight to to ten is I, I don't I don't really see a huge gain there. Yeah, there. I mean, there's some specific cases I can think of where going to ten would be better, and like there's a there's a certain four four zero locomotive that I want to build at one point. I was point. just going to say 19th century 440s would be a very, would be a lot easier. Yeah, there's a certain 440 that I really, really want to do, and I've been struggling with, like, how I can build it in 8 wide, and the thought of, like, going up to going up to a larger scale, like 10 wide, for that is is somewhat appealing, because that would solve a bunch of problems with that locomotive. Um, then but you have for, like, this out of scale locomotive compared to all the rest of your stuff. Yeah, um, that is one of the drawbacks. But for I, I tend to agree with Glenn. For most of the stuff I build, I'm fairly happy with what I can get at at the current scale uh, at eight wide. Um, I don't really feel like I need you know I don't feel like that that I don't feel like I that that need to to jump to a bigger scale. Um, really warrants. I don't. I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel the deal detail warrants it, and I'm not really that bothered by the discrepancy in the track gauge compared to my models. I don't, uh, I'll quite a fun uh, question which, which has been asked in the live chat. What uh, what's the difference between six and eight wide? Uh, less room to include accurate design elements or details. Um, well, I agree that most of the time six wide models don't match the size compared to their buildings or their uh, or minifigures for that uh, for that matter. And from my personal opinion, eight wide models just fit better in scale with the minifigures or buildings that you're creating. Definitely agree. Yeah, yeah. I think like from from my perspective, I I feel like minifigures fit better with an eight wide scale. Um, but of course, you know, the proportions of minifigs are really wonky anyway, so it's all subjective. <laughs> uh, I feel like at a 135 scale, like with, if you look at like the Brickmania tanks, you're, you're just slightly pushing with what you can get away with, with a minifig ending next to like a Sherman. Yeah. <laughs> basic and 135 would be roughly 10 wide if you're building trains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, for me with with like the six wide or even even sometimes seven wide locomotives is a uh, it, it gets to a point where you're you're kind of affecting the silhouette of it. um you know like a six wide steam engine your your pistons generally have to be out at eight or nine wide to, to get your your rods and everything to work and that you know if you look at a real steam engine the uh kind of the silhouette the general shape of it is kind of like a v you know they, they generally tend to get kind of slimmer as you go down towards the wheels and the pistons and and when you're building to like a six wide, that it it goes out, it flares out, and you get that a lot with eight wides too, but it's not as bad. Yeah, that's a definitely that's a really good point. Actually, ran into that problem yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of going off of that, Chris. It's an interesting thing to think about. Like in real railroading, you have these ten foot wide platforms riding on. Oh, basically four and 
four feet eight inch eight inch gauge so i definitely see what you mean about like the slimmer profile as you're look if you're looking at like the front it definitely gets slimmer as you move from the top to the bottom yeah it's it just one of those things where i i feel like sort of the characteristics of the way it looks you know just the proportions and you know eight, eight wide we we definitely go way out past that when you start putting on valve gear and and the pistons but it's it's a lot less noticeable, I think, in, from a lot of angles than it is with the six wide. I agree. Uh, just yeah. a couple small questions to uh, round everything up because we are uh, going around the forty-five minute mark. Uh, two questions for Glenn. Glenn, first of all, uh, what's the largest Lego locomotive you've ever made? The largest would probably be the uh, the Pennsylvania two ten four J class that I built a couple years ago that never worked right. Okay. That was uh that was that was quite big. It was also That's just quite an big unfinished big. project. It is an <laughs> unfinished project. I'll I'm gonna come back to that one. It's there'll be a ways down the road. That was quite that was quite a big engine. And I'm upset that one of those didn't get saved. One of the most important questions: What about Thomas the Tank Engine? What about Thomas the Tank Engine? Well, what's what's wrong with Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> I'll answer that. Nothing's wrong with Thomas the Tank Engine. All right, and uh, the final question, which is pointed towards me, Enrico, how many uh, US models have you ever built? None. So, <laughs> on that disappointment, um, thank you everybody for listening. It's time to end. It's time to end the show. <laughs> Uh, thank you all for uh, joining us. Uh, we'll try to do this on a regular base, but we can't do any promises, especially in these times, in these strange and weird times. Um, but if we're going to do a another episode, which we are going to do, uh, we will probably let you everybody know uh, on our social, me social media pages uh, a couple of days in advance, another couple of hours in advance. Uh, just make sure you have a notification button on our uh, BMR YouTube uh, YouTube page because then you definitely have a notification when we upload our, uh, or plan our next live stream. Um, well, thank you everybody for joining. Thank you for joining everybody. Enrico, yeah. thanks for hosting as well. No problem. Yes. And uh, I wish everybody a, a great night. Now, night for me, great afternoon for everybody in the US. <laughs> <laughs> And good morning for the Australians. <laughs> good morning for the Australians. <laughs> I thank everybody for listening. And uh, goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.